Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Welcome to City Life. We are completing the last days, a love letter to humanity. Today is Father's Day. Shout out to all the dads. I will speak to that in a moment. Somebody's already feeling pain because you don't have a dad. I hope today that you'll be encouraged with what I'll share. Also this week celebrated Juneteenth. And for many of us, we're learning what in the world is Juneteenth. Freedom from slavery, but as we're still seeing the effects of that slavery, racism, injustices, gap economically, access, education, wages, all of that nonsense is still taking place. So not only did celebration take place this week, but I hope more activation also takes place. Some of us watching were like, okay, well, I'm just done. I want to move on. I'm uncomfortable. Man, We should love being uncomfortable. Jesus got uncomfortable to get close. He tells us to take dominion. The first two letters of dominion is D-O. So go do. So we can't just talk about it. We got to be about it, but we got to do. We got to dominate. So let's continue to not only just celebrate a day, but be people that are active in action to make sure freedom is fully realized and manifested in all ways. Equality isn't just a word, but it is a life to be lived in in and through us. Come on at city life as it is in heaven, just like the truck has on the back. You are loved, belong and have purpose. Dads. Today. Inventory. Some of us. No dad. Others of us, dad, but bad dad. Where are we at in that story? The coolest, probably my favorite moment in all of scripture is after Jesus gets baptized and he comes up, dove ascent, the spirit of God right there, that the father looks down on his son and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's my boy. That's my boy. If God talks about Jesus that way, when we put our faith in Jesus, that's how our heavenly father talks about us. Father's Day is a great remembering time for all of us to not only celebrate our earthly fathers and celebrate those that have been father figures in our life and shout out to all the dads holding it down, but it's a great moment for us to pause and look at how our heavenly father positions his love to us. That we, in Jesus, are sons, daughters, God's kids in whom he is well pleased with. So that's a powerful thought. And then maybe you've heard of the prodigal son story, the lost son, Luke 15. There's three examples in Luke 15 of what the kingdom of heaven is like. There's a lost coin, lost sheep, but the lost son is the longest part. And the son takes his inheritance while the father's still alive. And the story is often told about 
how the son goes off and spends all the money or maybe the older brother once the son comes back and that that the prodigal son was living a life of sin and and that would be the biggest mockery to his father to take the inheritance while he's still alive and then to go squander it living a reckless lifestyle crazy in sin. And then he comes back in shame and he's just like, man, if I could just work here, I'm sorry. Can I just be a servant in your house, dad? And it says that the father, the father stayed home the whole time, but just anticipated that his son would return. And, and the story sometimes get told about the lost son. And sometimes the story gets told about the older brother's response. But really the whole story is about how good the father is. And when the father sees the son, the father comes out, runs to him, brings him, and then throws a party for the son because God has a love and an affection for property that is his. And we are made in his image. And that is the posture of heaven. When I think of Father's Day, I think of that. I think of that freedom, that excitement, that love, and how consistent and good the father is. I'm blessed to have a dad who's still alive. As a kid, my dad was a stay-at-home dad for some of the years of my life before my parents got divorced when I was nine. I have great memories of learning how to throw a ball, all of those kind of things with my dad. But there's also moments when we, those relationships can, can get tense and we've all experienced this, whether it's with our earthly parents or our fatherly figure, and we don't know what to do in those moments. If we can look past the, the, the figures in our life and look the highest figure that we have, the father, because some of us watching this, our wounds of the father cut so deep, but the healing of heaven goes deeper. I think in order to be a great dad, we got to be like our great dad in heaven. And there will be times we miss it. Our oldest, I was downstairs working on an email and he was like, dad, come up here, dad, come up here. I was like, oh, let me just get this done. Let me just get this done. Let me just get this done. And by the time I got to him, he had already fell asleep. And I thought, dang it, I missed a moment. I missed a moment. The next day I said, hey, son, I'm sorry. I missed that moment. And him being full of grace, oh, it's okay, dad. No, that wasn't right. You said come. That's not like God. Every time, every time you call the God, he comes. And I'm gonna try to be better like him. I hope that story reminds us that we won't be perfect. We will make mistakes. But if we own it, we lean in. No shame today. You might have a whole pattern of mistakes. Dad's in the, you know, watching this. You might think, dang, I, I've just never lived up. Well, there's encouragement. In order to be a dad that can really carry the banner of heaven, let's be a great son first to our heavenly father. And as we're a great son now we can serve as examples to our earthly children. And I'm also speaking to people that are role models, that are father figures. So in that spirit, happy 
Father's Day to all the dads, all the dads holding it down and all the dads trying to be like our Heavenly Father. I hope that we remember the best dads are the best sons, letting God transform us from glory to glory to glory. As we complete our series today, there was a whole bunch of Q&A that came in that we said we would get to your questions. We're gonna do that in just a moment. But I wanna pray for the dads. I wanna pray for those that don't have a dad. I wanna pray for those that have a dad, but the wounds of the father cut deep, that the healing of heaven would go deeper right now. Jesus, I thank you for all the dads right now, all the dads holding it down. I thank you that you never give up on us, that we have the best example. You as our heavenly father showing us the way and there's no head trash today that we are sons, we are in the family. You are pleased as we put our faith in Jesus. We're complete. And now from that posture, we wanna love our kids in a way that will foster, grow, and develop them, protect them, lead them to be like you. God, I pray for everybody right now that's been hurt. I pray that the healing of heaven, the Father's love right now will heal deeper. And I pray for many men watching this right now to continue to be an example and a father figure to the next generation because the future matters. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Like every second you turn on the news, promoting fear, check this headline. Line, 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 line. What would it look like? What, what would it look like if we looked at God's letters, God's love, read it through a different filter, a different perspective, perspective, perspective. He's not writing to humanity to scare humanity. He's writing to humanity to free humanity. He has a love letter. He has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us the spirit of a powerful sound. Welcome back. This completes the series, the installment today. Next week will be a bridge into transitioning a new border. July, get your passport. We're going to look past our country to our kingdom. We're going to look past our president to our king. And it is going to be a series titled Freedom in July. And next week will be the bridge into that beautiful month that we'll have together. I'm excited. I've gotten to see some of the stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get right into the questions. How can we know more about the timing of the last days? Well, no one will know the hour Jesus returns, but the time of the last days Many scholars believe that we're already in the last days. And that would be the opinion I hold that we're in the last days. That question 
also now brings us to a place of culminating to how are we aware of the signs of the times of when the end will be. Now, Matthew chapter 24, verses five through eight says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you dare not be alarmed for there. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and a kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. That's not fun. Second Timothy chapter three, one through nine says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ouch. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And then one other text I'd like to read regarding this question is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage, and with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, what the question is, when will we know the timing of the last days? Eschatology is a study of end times. And for Christians, we can get so passionate about the signs that we forget the greatest sign that Jesus is already fulfilled that God has already sent Jesus. We can talk too much about the darkness and get so aware. Now we need to be alert, but we will not know the hour, but we know that they're through prophecy and Daniel and Ezekiel and that the, the, in revelation that the spirit of the lawless one, the, the mark, the number six, 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 which is also in some early manuscripts, there's more evidence that it's 666, but also 616. Other manuscripts have evidence that that's the number. We And that should just instantly cause us to proceed with a little bit of more caution before we talk about these things and zoom out and remember that the study of end times is still about the king who already won, who's coming back. Throughout history, there's a math equation you can do to add up the the names of leaders, 666. And you can do enough 
mental gymnastics to get, or mathematical gymnastics to get almost any name to add up to 666. So we can't just instantly see, okay, it's a name or it's a person or it's an entity, but we know in the last, there is a, there's a shift to get Jesus out. There's a shift to make it unified and say, hey, let's not make it about God. There's a shift that I want to act like I'm, I want God, but I don't want his teaching. So I think if we stay rooted and really connected to sound doctrine in the scriptures, in the, the presence of God, and in a phrase that we've loved in the study of end times, which is live today like the last, but prepare for forever. And I was on a walk a couple weeks ago for about two and a half hours on all the trails here in Lansing. And I was so bogged down by the news, so bogged down by all the stuff that's going on in our world. And I felt like the, the Lord reminded me, you're focusing too much on the darkness. You need to just let the light Turn on, let the light in and focus on the solution. Greater is he who lives in me and lives in you. All those that put their faith in Jesus. Next question. How do you know when the voice you hear is God's or not? Well, I like that one. There is no extra biblical voices we need but voices that complement God's word and unlock this adventure inside of us. That the scriptures are fully sufficient. And might I add that any of these questions, there's no way we can get exhaustive on them and their lifelong study and a lifelong journey to become more like Jesus. But so in all we do to want to hear from God, the, 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 the first place and the, the best place and where we stay and where it will, God's voice will never contradict God's word. God's voice will never contradict God's word. And we filter all voices that people say to us through God's word. Now, there's extremes on this, that God can't speak through a person anymore. There's no prophetic word. That's an extreme. And then there's um, an extreme over here that it's all prophetic word, Holy Spirit, God a word, thus says the Lord and barely knowing the scriptures. I would encourage us to get into the tension and the mess of it to say that the scriptures are complete, infallible, amazing, but it's not a step-by-step -step encyclopedia. It's an adventure to be lived. It's a new thing to be discovered. And that's why Jesus left to send us the Holy Spirit. So it would be alive and active. So by all means, we should be welcoming the whole experience, but the experience should never trump God's word. God's word. Never contradict God's word. And Last thought on this too is even the scriptures, they're written, but there would be oral tradition and, and in the scriptures, there would be experiential as well. So it's the written word. It is, we tell it and then we're also experiencing it, the full fullness of God. So come on that adventure. Next question. How do we navigate the madness in the last days and work to still help make an effective change? Answer, live today like the last, but prepare for ever. Prepare for forever. 
today. The piece of that is to glorify God. Today, that we would make it about people. Today, that we would make it about souls. Today, we would make it about the urgency of heaven. But preparing for forever means we care about doing good works in everything we do. We want the kingdom to be manifested throughout all of our life. Vocation, job, interaction, everything we do, relationship. So we should care about global warning. We should be at the forefront of anything that helps give people access for housing and education, all of that, because we're preparing for forever. We don't know when the king will come back, but we want to be involved in the king's business. So we're thinking generationally, legacy, but we're also thinking urgency for today. And I, I, I think that where those streams meet is a good river for us to flow down on a little canoe or maybe whitewater rafting. I did that one time, level four rapids. I was freaked out of my mind and I was on the raft and I was just holding on for everything I could do to stay on. I was the only person, might I add, that didn't get knocked out of the raft. I'm not sure if that's my height. I'm not sure if that was my intensity, if it was luck or a combination of all things, but that is very humbling to be on that type of stage of rapids. But that's the kind of activity right now I think we want to be. Let's be a river for God. Yeah. I would be interested in more info on the symbolism and revelation. Is there material you have? I think that's a really good idea. And there's a lot of information out there. So the answer is yes. Probably Google. Get a... Bible with the, the, you know, different translations and study. This is the Gospel Transformation Bible, uh, New Study Bible that is awesome. The CSB Study Bible, look into that. Um, I'm reading a different study Bible too right now. So I just encourage you that all of that's out there, but let's focus on main and then secondary uh, under that because uh, the Bible's all one big story about God's plan for humanity, and all about Jesus. What does it mean in the Bible to suffer? And have you seen people fall into religion or bondage from the teaching of suffering? Well, there's extreme camps in this one as well. That since Jesus suffered on the cross, we, anytime we're experiencing pain, it's a lack of faith. And I don't think anybody would say that, but from a head perspective of writing down on an exam, but from an experiential perspective, that is too often the culture of that extreme. And then another extreme that we can fall victim to is that we're now trying to force suffering or try to go out of our way to be martyred or wear suffering as some type of, you know, a jacket of pride that that we earned and and that's not it because the finished work on the cross is is fully earned like a few texts that help teach us that a doctrine of suffering is essential first peter 2:21 for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps we will suffer Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be also set free from the bondage to decay into this glorious freedom of God's children. A doctrine of suffering says I may suffer today in many different ways, but the future, the forever home, oh, the sufferings of today can't even touch the treasures of forever. And then Romans 8, 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, nothing can separate us from God's love. Now, when it comes to suffering, there's physical, probably, not probably, but there's emotional And how do we know as a Christian what's right or what's wrong? Well, if something's unbiblical, that's not cool. We're out. If something's unethical, not cool. We're out. And if it's illegal, unlawful, we're out. But what about if the law tells us to do something unbiblical? We're out. That would be the moment that you get the op clause. But that's why it's really important to know our scriptures, to know our king, to know what our kingdom looks like. So we won't solve that in this moment, but um, suffering is a doctrine and and we will all suffer in some form for Jesus Christ. It's not some type of jacket or banner or flag to be to, to try to go seek out. It, it It's just part of the process. And then and even physically, sometimes we wonder, why hasn't God healed me? I believe Jesus has healing here today for us, supernaturally, that the signs and wonders of heaven still exist. But at the same time, there's a mystery that some of us aren't healed healed until that full transition into forever, that full resurrected state that will happen, the resurrection that will take place. And a person in the Bible that's challenged me with this is Epaphroditus. He's with Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is, <laughs> everywhere he's going, people are getting healed. I'm, I mean, even his handkerchiefs are healing. Pe- the signs and wonders are happening. But yet when he is with Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus is so sick that he nearly died, Philippians 2.27 teaches us. But God had mercy on him and he gets to live so that there would not be sorrow for both of them upon sorrow, mostly for Paul as he writes. And one day we get a picture of forever that God will wipe away every tear. What does that mean? That tears today are real. But tears forever will be gone. So yes, we may suffer. And we don't know, sometimes that'll be words, persecution for pick, but it's not something we go seek out. But we have hope today That God can heal today, but he will heal forever. And that's what we're all longing for. Hope that's some helpful uh, kind of paths for us to walk down. Revelation talks about 144,000 being sealed. Does this mean that only 144,000 can get into heaven? How do I know if I would get in? All right. This one could take up the week and... When I think of the book of Revelation, for Christians, we want to turn there so quick. I remember my friend was in jail. He was like, dude, I picked up a Bible for the first time. 
I was like, what'd you read? He goes, Revelations. You know, I used to say Revelations too. What's the book of Revelation? It's one revelation Jesus giving to John on the island of Patmos. And it has so much imagery in it. But there's a few things that we know for sure. God's coming back. He's the king. The kingdom will be realized. He's going to first judge his people, me and you. And there will be a great grand finale that has already been won, but will be fully realized, kind of like if land has already been bought and then you can build a house on it. Jesus has already bought the land and and he's going to come back and build a house on it. New heaven, new earth, all things new. It's going to take place. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The devil's done. All of all of his nonsense trying to get me and you, darkness. I mean, this is starting to sound like a sci-fi movie. Yeah, right. It, it, that's how real this stuff is. We believe that there's a natural world that we see, it's temporary, but there's an eternal world that we don't see. And that is what will last forever. And those worlds are always colliding, always connecting. And that beautiful grand finale will be that Jesus wins and he'll make all things new. A couple things that can help somebody with the 144,000, Google Gospel Coalition, 144,000, Kevin DeYoung has a piece on that and also 144,000 got questions and there is a different tension of how people see this literally, figuratively and enjoy the journey. Um, But where I'm at in this world is that no, it's not what some people have said that there's only 144,000 people that are getting in. How do we know that we get in? The scripture is very clear. Anyone that believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will be saved. Simple, game, set, match. I know it is good for us to obey the law, but what happens if the law requires us to receive the mark of the beast? Where do we draw the line? Well, the mark of the beast is very, very complex to know how, when, or where, and I even read an article this week that somebody sent me that the mark was already in place. I'm like, dang. Now, if just for a minute, if you're the king of darkness, you're going to do everything possible to not make it obvious and just drift people away. Have you ever heard of the frog principle, the boiling frog principle that a frog, if you put it in boiling water, it'll just jump out. But if the frog's in room temperature water and slowly but surely you just turn up the temperature to where it boils, it will boil to death because it'll happen slowly but surely. Jesus followers, slowly but surely, we can be boiled to death if we don't stay true to sound teaching, doctrine, rooted, connected, love God, love people. We don't want to drift away. But I think at the same time, the lawless one, there will be a level of obviousness, offensiveness, blatant uh, mockery, even claiming to be Jesus that we will know as we study the authentic, the real McCoy, the real deal, that the synthetic will be more obvious. And God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is here. He won't cast out anyone who cries on him. So I think... For me, I've always been challenged to quit talking about the enemy so much and talk about God more. And I know that doesn't solve it, but hopefully it continues to help shape and frame us. 
And yes, there will be a time if it's obvious, deny, etc. But there is a possibility uh, we could already be in that. Uh, that's a crazy thought. As you see, it's it's very difficult to land on these things. We land on the orthodoxies. We land on essentials. We land on creed. We land on core competencies of who it, what it means to follow Jesus. But we hold a level of mystery and tension and and we work with it. Um, yeah, we're always leaning into all of these conversations. So let's not be people that are solving and just moving on so quick. What are all the themes in Revelation and how do we interpret from themes repeated throughout the Bible referenced in Revelation? To fully understand the book of Revelation, it's, again, so complex. But when you read it through a lens of Jesus winning, Jesus, his people, and you don't read it through a lens of what do these signs mean, I found when I've done that, the book of Revelation came alive. It came alive. It came alive. When I read it for how does Jesus lead his people, what is God doing, and how does that impact me as somebody who is already approved? Yeah, it came alive, super alive. Could there be multiple last days occurring at different times throughout history and in different locations? How do we warn and not become doomsday preachers? There could be a whole slew of things, but I don't think at the end of the day, we do want to be a doomsday preacher. We're trying to make people aware and alert, but to keep beating that theme, that drum coming back there, we can't just be people that are always talking about what Satan and darkness is doing. And I'm not minimizing that. I, there is that a lot of that should be happening in our groups of 12. It should be happening in us in the in, in our kitchens and on the phone. But 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 for us to make the main thing the main thing and it's good news, right? So how do we avoid being doomsday? We be hope day, love day preachers. We be good news preachers. We be the, the type of people that tell people that they can come back home no matter how much wrong they've done, no matter how guilty they are, no matter how ashamed they feel that God's glory reaches and runs to them. Oh, it's so good. So let's be more like Jesus. When he's telling people to repent, he's showing them himself. You're, you're the fulfillment. You're the one. No way. Yeah. And the ones that saw it, they left their professions. They, they left their generational occupation, the perfect, they, they just ran to him. They're like, okay, I'm going to follow you. We don't even know where you're leading or going, but we believe you're the one. God can take belief and do something supernaturally with a life that becomes brand new in him. Let's go to the last question. Will people be left behind on purpose to help bring more people to the Lord? For individuals that grew up in church longer. I didn't grow up in church. I met Jesus first and then I met the church second. And that's beautiful because I met his bride second. I didn't have to get through the mess of uh, dealing with people like me and you then to finally meet Jesus. Uh, but the bride is beautiful. 
and it's it is Jesus's. So it, it's essential. They can't they go hand in hand. But meeting Jesus, I have a different perspective first that that he he gave me identity before I had to even learn about Christian subcultures, Christian theologies. I just knew, man, I am a sinner. I am sorry. And I believe Jesus did it. And that grace set me free. Um, and for those that have heard my story, it was like instant. I wasn't perfect from that moment by any stretch of the imagination, but my life has been forever changed with that simple message. Now, along the way, getting into Christian culture and things in our church world, there's series like the Left Behind series, um, books, movies, there's theology of the rapture. Now, this might come as a surprise to many of us, but the word rapture is not in the New Testament. The caught up that we will be with our master as he's then coming back to rule, reign, judgment. That resurrection is the, 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 the main thing. The resurrection, the resurrection that the, all the dead in Christ will rise and that we will be caught up with our king. Now that language to a Jewish first century church follower would, would be that, that when an emperor or a ruler or someone from Rome as, as Rome was colonizing and they were populating all these different regions. And as that leader would come back, that the people it'd be, they would come out to see that leader. They would leave the town. They would come out. So the, I found through NT Wright and different people on this, you can Google it, that the, I will be caught up or come out or called out into to meet with Jesus more than I will just escape some type of judgment that it's the king, his kingdom, Christus Victor, and it starts to reshape. And, and, and this is hard because we want to know it's just escape or will I be here as a soldier? And and there's a, there's, there's a greater narrative going on, I believe. And it's cool, really cool, really beautiful. So is it possible somebody would be used during a time that is so filled with tribulation? Well, God will raise up, if you go look at those 144, he'll raise up people for every stage of it. But as we're caught up, as we're coming out as a people in our kingdom to meet our king, that we, all of us, the dead in Christ will rise. We will be resurrected. Resurrection, so powerful, so beautiful. And I think somebody's already saying, well, do you believe in the rapture? Don't I? What, 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 that's, what, like, what is, that's not made, that's not even, how are we even there? Like, I can think of a hundred pages of things we could talk about before we get there. And one of which should be, for such a time as this, racial reconciliation. It should be rich and poor meet together, the Lord's the maker of them all. It should be main things, main thing. It should be not just in America, but in the world. How are we gonna fight for the one everywhere we go? God left the comforts of heaven to get close and became a man in the flesh to dwell among us, to find the one and offer new life, forgiveness, freedom, that he is the king. 
today that invitation is for anybody. Jesus says you're, you are loved. Jesus says you belong. And Jesus says, I've made you for purposes beyond this planet. And you can be made brand new. Just believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And Jesus, take my life and he'll do it. I pray that you'll join a group here. I pray that you'll join the team. And as we get ready next week, the bridge going into July, kicking off our series called Freedom. So keep asking questions. Let's do this again. Real talk, real people with a real God. And I love that we have a God that invites the questions and the beautiful journey of following him forever. It's a game changer. I pray you have the best day of your life. We'll see you next week. All races, all faces, and all ages. You belong here. We will keep loving the city until he makes all things new. Have the best day of your lives. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.